Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Then Samuel died, and all Israel gathered together and mourned for him and buried him at his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Okay, so there's one verse about the death of Samuel. Samuel, so great a prophet, he was a prophet. He was a judge. He was the last of the judges. And, and uh, uh, he was also a priest. He was of the tribe of Levi, living in, 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 in the tribe land of Ephraim. Because remember, the Levites only had select portions of land. They never had their own specific territory. Neither did Simeon, by the way. Simeon never had their own specific territory. They were, they were assimilated within the tribe of Judah, in the southern part of Judah, never had their own territory. And why, why did Levi and Judah never have their own territory? I'm, I'm sorry, Levi and Simeon? Because in, in Genesis 49, they were cursed. They were cursed because by, by uh, um, uh, Jacob cursed them because they had killed a, a, a city in, in, uh, in their wrath. They had killed a city. And, and uh, so the curse upon them was they would never be given their own territory. And so you see that. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years later, when they come into the land, they never got their own territory. I mean, God keeps His promises. Nonetheless, Samuel dies, and one verse about Samuel. Have you ever heard of the potato salad effect? The potato salad effect. Okay, so if you really think you're something, you know, sometimes we, we think we're, we're really something. Let me assure you that, that if you die, you will be quickly forgotten. That, that none of us is really that important if we start thinking that we're really that important. Because what happens is, a typical, typical funeral is, you know, you, you go to this service and there's this funeral and there's this burial. And then, you know, by then the guys who are attending the funeral you usually get pretty hungry. And then, you know, if you know the people, you go back to the house and somebody's cooking food. Somebody's made food and invariably somebody, somebody brings potato salad. There's a couple guys standing around the table after this funeral and they're really hungry. And... Uh, some, somebody brings potato salad, and so these guys start digging in and eating the potato salad. And uh, uh, before even the potato salad is gone, one guy has finished his plate, and he's saying, Hey, pass the potato salad. And he's eating away. He says, You know, too bad about uh, old what's-his-name. Boy, this is a good potato salad. Before the day is over, they will have even forgotten your name. So don't think too highly of yourself and don't think the world revolves around you. Things pass very quickly. One verse about so great a man. One verse. That's all there is in the Bible about so great a man. We will fade away and that's very good. Nobody should be worshipping us and, and, and remembering us and have shrines to us. That's very good. Let us pass away and be with the Lord. Then it says, David goes to the wilderness of Paran. In fact, in, in, uh, in the Septuagint, it says David goes to the wilderness of Moan, uh, of, um, I'm sorry, of Maon. And, and probably the Septuagint is right. So the, the, the scriptures that we use primarily are translated from the Mesoretic text, which is a Hebrew text from about 1000 A.D. 
the Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was written several hundred years before the birth of Christ. And that says that David went into the wilderness of Maon. And Maon is probably the correct place that he went to at this time because in the next verse, he meets up with the, the family or the workers of Nabal. And, 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 and Nabal was uh, in this town of Maon and Carmel. So let's start reading in verse 2. Now there was a man of Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 3,000 goats. And it came about when he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And the woman was intelligent and beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and was a Calebite. And then David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young man, Go down to Carmel, visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him, Have a long life, peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we have not insulted them, nor have, we missed, nor have they missed anything all the days they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a festive day. Please give whatever you find at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name. Then they waited, but Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men retracted their way, retraced their way back, and they came and told him all these words. David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, David's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while, they, while we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now therefore, know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Then Abigail hurried and took two hundred loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five measures of roasted grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband. Okay, so what's, this, what's happening here? David is particularly sensitive to shepherds because he himself had, had uh, grown up as a shepherd. So he meets up with these men who are tending a lot of sheep and a lot of goats. Nabal is a rich man, it says. He was from Carmel. His business was Carmel. He was from Maon. So he was from the tribe of Judah, the same tribe as David. It says he was a very rich man. He wasn't just a rich man. He was a very rich man. And so in those days, they would count richness by the number of sheep and goats that you have, by the amount of cattle you have. That's how you... You said richness. Now you, you say how many billions of dollars. It's just a different unit of measure. And so he had a thousand sheep 
he had uh, 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So he was a very rich man. The scriptures doesn't, it, it, it doesn't mince words. The, so so uh, uh, he was very rich. And he was, he was shearing his sheep. Now, what happens is when there's a sheep shearing, it's a, usually a festive time. During that festive time, it was all often a time of giving, where there was a sharing, where they would have a big feast and they would share it with many people around. This was a tradition of the time. It was not demanded that they do this, but it was the standard tradition of the time. We have traditions in our times. We have birthday parties. We, we celebrate the 4th of July. We have traditions. It's not that God has told us to do this. We just have traditions and expectations during the time. And, and uh, this was a tradition of the time. Now it says the man's name was Nabal. Now this was, was probably not his real name, but it was an acquired name based on his personality. The, in Hebrew, the word is not Nabal, it's Nabal, with a V. Nabal, and Nabal means foolish. So his name was even foolish. And you say, well, why would anybody have a name like that? Well, very often it's used, it's less today because of our political correctness, but even when I was growing up, People had certain names often based upon their characteristics. If someone was tall and thin, very often they called them stretch. If, if, uh, if someone was, was left-handed, they'd call them lefty. You know, if he was a pitcher and left-handed, they'd call him lefty. If somebody was red-headed, they'd call him red. It's very common. You'd walk, you'd walk in the store with a friend who's red-headed, and the, the owner of the store would say, Hey, Red, hey red how you doing? You know, they, they'd just say that to somebody. They'd just call him that. And it wasn't offensive in that day. It was just, just kind of expected. Or if some guy was, was big and hefty and you know, strong-looking, you know, they, people would call him Tank. Hey, Tank. So you know, people took on names that were characteristic of their behavior. So this man's name is translated in English, Nabal, but in, in Hebrew, it's Naval, which means foolish. It says his wife's name was Abigail, and she was intelligent and beautiful in, in appearance. I mean, this is, remember, the scripture doesn't mess around. It doesn't just say, you know, she was average. It only points out when there's something on the extremities. It says that, that uh, Zacchaeus was a short man. It doesn't say, you know, John was an average-sized guy. It didn't do it. It was when they were on the extremes the scriptures pointed it out. It says that she was intelligent and beautiful. Now, why would it, it mention this? Well, because in general, in general, you don't see those two things put together in a woman, intelligence and beauty. That's not generally. Maybe that was, that's why it, it, it put, them, put them there. In, in our day, we can't say anything like that because things have to be politically correct. So I'm not saying that. The scriptures say that. She was intelligent and beautiful because maybe they felt that that was worth noting because at the time, at that time, maybe that those two features were orthogonal to one another. They didn't normally go together. But she was beautiful and she was intelligent. This is what it says of Abigail. It says, so, so David heard that Nabal was, was shearing his sheep, so he sent his young men. Now remember, David had a nomadic life. He was moving from place to place. Very hard for him to bring food. They can't bring food unless it's like dry dates and things, but you have to move a lot. You can't carry much. So you have to get food from wherever you are. Now David had 600 men with him. They could have been a marauding band and taken whatever they want. These were tough guys, and remember, he was having to contain them from killing people all the time. These were rough guys. And he made it so that 
he said, take care of these shepherds. You can imagine these men seeing these sheep going by and like, this is lunch. And David's saying, no, no, don't touch the sheep. They don't belong to us. And, you know, you see 3,000 of them. They're saying, like, David, just, just 10 of them and we'll be fine. And David's, no, you're not going to touch them. In fact, you're going to protect them because he was very sensitive to shepherds. And the plight of shepherds where often people would come and take of their flocks. And, and, uh, uh, and we had, there are examples of marauding bands like from the tribe of Dan at one point that would just, you know, you, you, you can get a dozen men with weapons and they can go around and take whatever they want in those days. And here you had 600 men. And he says, I want you to go to Nabal and greet him and honor him. And he even says, say to him, have a long life, peace be to you, peace be to your house, peace be to all you have, and recount to him how we protected his shepherds and we didn't let anybody take from his shepherds. And see if he'll give us a gift. Because it was a tradition to give it. You say, well, it wasn't absolutely expected. That's right. When you go someplace and and, uh, somebody parks your car, valet parking, you don't have to give them a tip. But it's generally expected so that if you don't give a tip, you're a real crumb. You know? You go to a restaurant, you don't have to give a tip. You won't be arrested for leaving without giving a tip. But if you go to a restaurant and don't tip, it's really, really bad. This is the same sort of thing, that somebody should do you good, and now it's a festive time, and you're a very rich man, and you don't share, it's bad. But, Nabal didn't just say, I'm not going to give a thing to you. Nabal actually, it says, he insulted David. He says, when David's young men came, they spoke all these things, and according to what they, you know, just saying, Shalom, peace be to you, Shalom to your, to your flock, Shalom to your herd, Shalom to your family. And, and Nabal answers, he says, who's David? Who's David? Of course he knows who David is. He's from the tribe of Judah. David is this great, mighty young man who, who killed Goliath. David was head of Saul's army for a long time. He knows of David, so it's an insult. And who is the son of Jesse? And whose servants, you, you know, are running away from their masters? So he slanders David and also the 600 men that are with David, because remember, many of them were discontent and just walking away, and so he slanders the whole group of them. So he's a really cocky guy. He says, shall I take of my bread? And he sends the young men away. So they go away and they tell David. So what does David do? He says to his men, gird on your swords. We're going to take care of this guy, Nabal. We're going to take him out. So the young men who work for Nabal, the shepherds, they come and they, they, they think, you know, it's no use to even talk to Nabal. We'll talk to Abigail. They talk to Abigail and Abigail says, uh-oh, we're in trouble. So she gets all this food put together, puts it on donkeys and sends it ahead of, she's going to go now too, sends the young men ahead, take these gifts to David. And then she starts, she starts uh, on her way. So look in verse uh, 20. And it came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hiding, hidden part of the mountain, that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her, so she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that the man has in the wilderness, so that nothing has been missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more so, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. 
And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face to the ground before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet. On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to the worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging your own self by your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as Nabal. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in all your days. Should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, but the lives of your enemies he will sling out from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does... For, for my Lord, according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this will not cause grief or trouble your heart to my Lord by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me and blessed be your discernment and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself of my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until morning, morning light as much as one male. So David received from her hand what she had brought to him and said, Go up to your house in peace. See that I have listened to you and granted your request. So Abigail, it says that without telling her husband went and gave all these gifts to David. This calmed David. And David had said, you, you heard what was going through his mind. He was saying to himself, it says that, uh, um, he was saying to himself in, in verse 22, May God do so to the enemies of David and more so, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. And this one male, it, it's, it, it's in Hebrew, it's really more vivid. It says, uh, one who urinates against the wall. I mean, he had every intent of killing, killing every male that, that was in Nabal's household. Every one of them. And, and um, so, what is David doing? David is doing exactly what Saul did. Going and destroying entire communities. David has now come to this stage. He, there's not a single prayer offered up by David, should I go and attack like he had been dealing with these other things. He takes this matter into his own hands and he says, I'm going to kill this guy. Well, how can you take a shepherd who was so humble to get to the point to say, I'm going to kill this guy? And it's because pride is so insidious. As soon as we start getting some position in life, some little bit of authority, pride comes in and we feel like we can delegate out to others in a very harsh way. And I warn you of this because I've seen this in myself. As soon as you start getting little bits of position and power, 
you can start dealing out such hard retribution. So the guy was insulted. It was an insulting thing. So David's going to have to suck this thing up and just walk in humility and go away. The man didn't owe it to him. Now, it says that when the young men are reporting to Abigail what happened, it says that, that the way they describe this in the Hebrew is that, is that uh, uh, Nebal flew upon them, flew upon the servants of David, meaning that he pounced on them. It wasn't a kind response at all. Nonetheless, this doesn't warrant the wiping out of the man and every male that ever works for him. You see what I mean? The retribution that was about to come from David was so extreme. You say, where does this come from? It comes from right in here. Right within our hearts is such wickedness that as soon as we start getting... How dare they do this? You know, I had seen this in the university once. Um, one secretary had done something that really wasn't that bad. And uh, uh, one person in the department said, you know, let, let's just have her fired. And I was so thankful that I happened to be in a good mood that day. And also, I just said, well, you do what you love her. And I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, she's got a family. Her husband's out of work. I mean, how can you do this? You see, what happens is you get these young guys who all of a sudden find themselves as professors and can wield all this power to get people fired very quickly. You see what I mean? This happens. It happens to all of us. We have to be forewarned that this is what our nature is like. As soon as you get out and you become Mr. Joe Engineer, and you can speak a word and somebody's fired, then you've got to be careful about what you throw around, what you do. Without any prayer, he does this. I do this. And you'd think that I'd know this and I'd be done doing it. But no, it constantly reoccurs in me. It's a constant struggle. So Abigail comes and appeals to him and says, you know, I'm sorry. And it's interesting, this young man came to Abigail and said, Nabal is such a fool, such a worthless man, in, in verse 17. He says, he is such a worthless man. This says son of Belial, meaning, meaning uh, uh, son of the devil, son of this idol, son of the devil. You know, we have another this expression, son of something, we talk about. This is what... This servant said of Nabal to his own wife. And his own wife received this message. Then she goes and she says of Nabal, she says in, 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 uh, in verse 25, Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man. The same words, the same words, this, this uh, son of Belial. That's very hard things for a woman to speak of her husband. This son, this worthless man, this son of the devil, Nabal. And for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. And, and the word that she uses is Nebala. The female, Nabal, putting it in a female context, but saying in, 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 the, uh, in the feminine that he's a fool. My husband is a fool, she says. And that's what his name is, his it is indeed his characteristic. He's the son of the devil and he's a fool. Strong words for a woman to say about her husband. So David backs off, doesn't, receives her gift, but David had no right to even have picked Gerda up his sword and gone after him in the first place. 
So David says, okay, we won't go after him. But she appeals to his conscience. She says, if you do this, think of what it's going to do to you when you get on your throne to know that you've treated people like this. And David says, you know, you're right. At least the thing we see about David is he had these fits of pride, but he was, you could speak into his life. That you could see. So, it's one thing to have this attitude, and I'm telling you, we all have this attitude buried within us. It's another thing is, when we are confronted, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, will we deal with it? Will we back down as David did? You know, you're right, I have no right. This is, I'm overstepping my place to do this. Let's read in verse, in verse 36. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in the house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was drunk, so she, so she did not tell him anything at all until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him the things, and his heart died within him, so that he became like a stone. And after about ten days, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach, from the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has returned the evil doing of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent a proposal to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David has sent us to you to take you as his wife. She arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maid servant is the maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Then Abigail quickly arose and rode on a donkey with her five maidservants who attended her, and she followed the messengers of David and they became and Dave, and messengers of David and became his wife. David also had taken Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both became his wives. Now Saul had given Michal, his daughter David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. Okay, so Abigail doesn't tell her husband that night. She waits until his drunkenness goes. She tells him he has a stroke. It says he becomes like a stone when he hears this. Ten days later, it says the Lord struck him. This was not a, just a natural death that happened to occur. It says the Lord struck him. This was a judgment of God upon Nabal. Now, did Abigail do right in what she had done? There is no doubt that her intentions were good but I don't think she did right, but I'll get to that in a minute. David goes and sends a proposal to her. Why? Because she was a beautiful woman and she was intelligent. Remember, you don't see those. In those days, you didn't see the two together in a package like that. She was beautiful and she was intelligent. I'd like to have her as a wife. He didn't know anything about her. So he sends his servants, and she bows, she says, I'm ready to wash the feet of David's servants. And then she goes, and who goes with her? Five maids. She comes from a rich home. These rich women are high maintenance sometimes. I mean, she's coming, she's the wife of a very wealthy man. She's got five maids. I mean, David is a nomad in the wilderness running from place to place and he proposes to this woman and he thinks, you know, she's going to throw a little sack on her back and come walking. He didn't know. Now he's got to support five maids too. Five maids in the wilderness? Give me a break. You, you know what I mean? I didn't know this was part of the deal. Well, you should have investigated her a little bit more, David. 
should have checked her out a little bit more. She comes with five of her maids. And remember, David's got to get food for her, now for all her maids. And the maintenance. Can you imagine a woman, yeah, I'm going to wash the feet of David's servants? Give me a break. She's sitting there, she's got five maids. She's having her hair done, her nails done, her toes done every day. Makeup covering herself in the wilderness. High maintenance lady. Then it says, David also had taken a Hinoim of Jezreel. So David also got another wife. This is not Jezreel of, of the northern part. This is Jezreel of the cities that, that, that are in Judah. In fact, uh, in Joshua chapter 15, verse 55 and 56, it mentions the city of Jezreel, which is in Judah. So he took this other woman too. So Abigail wasn't enough for him. He also got Hinoim of Jezreel. His first wife, Michal, who was the daughter of King Saul, King Saul had taken her and given her to another man. This was already David's wife. So King Saul sets his wife in an adulterous relationship. So did Abigail do right? Well, I don't think so. This verse that says, and she did not tell her husband, is exactly the same word construction that is used of of, uh, of Jonathan. It says, he did not tell his father Saul. God hates insubordination, and He hates rebellion against authority. This woman, first of all, received a word concerning her husband from somebody saying, your, your husband is the son of the devil, a fool and the son of the devil. She goes and repeats this. Now, what other indication do we have that, that maybe what she did wasn't quite right? Well, if you track her life, if you track Jonathan's life, Jonathan had hoped to be right at David's side. Jonathan died in battle. If you track Abigail's life, Abigail had a pretty miserable life. She really did. Things didn't go very well for Abigail. Um, her, intense, her intention was good. That's no doubt. Her intention was good. But she w- became one of six wives that David had gotten by the time he had gotten to Hebron. She was one of six wives. Her son, her firstborn son's name was Chiliab. Chiliab, which means restraint of the father. So she named her son restraint of the father. Why? Because his father restrained himself. So she bore David a son named Chiliab. Her son was the second son to be born to David. The first son to be born to David was Amnon. Amnon was born to that other wife, the Ahinoam from Jezreel. Amnon was heir to the throne after David. Amnon was killed by one of the other brothers. Absalom killed killed him. He was a pretty nasty guy. One of David's other sons ended up killing the oldest son. That should have put Chiliab second now. Now he should have been heir to the throne. Chiliab is never mentioned as being within the lineage. In fact, the one who gets the throne, he's bypassed and Absalom gets it. And then when Absalom was killed... There's, there's another son of David that tries to get the throne. Chiliab is never even discussed. There's almost no mention of Abigail. Never a mention of any affection toward Abigail by David. There's affection to, uh, uh, mentioned several times of David toward Bathsheba. Never toward Abigail. Finally, Abigail changes the name of her son. This is in 1 Chronicles 3.1. She changes the name of her son from Chiliab to Daniel, which means God is my judge. That's what she changes even her son's name to. So did 
Did she do right? There's no doubt her intention was good, but could there have been another way? You know, the Scriptures, it's so hard for us to get a hold of this, because in our day and age, we, we, we thrive on independence. The Bible says that God says the in- insubordination is as the sin of witchcraft. That she went against her husband without him even knowing this. She received an evil report. The Scriptures were clear in Deuteronomy that she never should have received an evil report like this about her husband without checking with someone else. She could have appealed to her husband. If he would not have listened to her, she could have brought some of the servants, some of the shepherds, and said, here, here is their testimony. This is what David did. And if still Nabal would not have complied, she could have cried out to God. But you totally obviate God from this. You work so that God cannot even intercede when you take matters into your own hands like this. This is exactly what Jonathan did. He took matters into his own hands. Never allowed for God to intercede in any way in this. And then you track the, the lives of these people that had gone against authority. You track their lives. Their lives were never happy lives. So, what is the lesson for us? If this is the case, that indeed she had a pretty miserable life. And remember, she was one of six wives by the time David gets to Hebron. Then, she, then it says David acquired many more wives and concubines when he got to Jerusalem. So she's one of many. It doesn't even tell us how many. Her one son that she bore to David, she only bore the one son. So you wonder how much further relations David was having with her. She only had the one son. Her son was never even considered within the heir to the throne. Hardly ever mentioned except the one that he was born, the other that she changed his name from Chiliab to Daniel. The Lord is my judge. What does this tell us? It tells us, don't be so quick to come against authority. When you're in a job and your boss has said something, if you feel there's a better way, appeal to your boss. Appeal to him. The Scriptures tell us in Matthew what to do even when there's disobedience. Go and to speak to that person, the Scriptures tell us. The Scriptures tell us that that is, that is the, the pattern of what we're supposed to do. And then it says, if they don't listen, you can bring another to underscore that, hey, this is, this is uh, what I see. You can bring another one to come along with your testimony. But we are so quick to speak evil of our bosses, to speak evil of the church, to speak evil of church authority... And by church authority, I'm not talking about the Pope. And, you know, I'm just talking about in the church where, you, where, you, where you're a part. You know, we feel like we don't even have to be part of a church. I just go wherever I want. I don't even have to. There's no structure of authority over our lives. Well, who, who are you accountable to? I, Jim Tour, am very accountable to the leadership of this body of Christ. I am very accountable to Roger and to Doug Page. When they ask me to do things, I do it. He said, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to use this room, you know, you, you know for, for other activities come, come uh, next, next, uh, next semester. So we can use this, kids, can you move to this other room? I mean, I serve at their disposal. I really do. At their pleasure, I serve. And it's like young people today have no accountability. Who are you accountable to? I don't know, I'm not accountable. I'm accountable to God. Well, that's great, being accountable to God. You know, God has put all sorts of authorities in our lives. Parents. He's put people in our lives. And so, you know, I'm amazed at how little young people have to be tied into even a local body of Christ. Any sort of accountability. 
Say, well, I go to such and such church. Do they even know you? Have you ever signed up? Have you ever joined the church? Have you ever, you know, become part so that they know who you are? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, there's structures of authority throughout the Scriptures. Throughout the Scriptures. Wives being accountable to husbands. Husbands being likewise accountable to their wives. It says in in the New Testament, we are accountable one to another. I am accountable to my wife. She can ask me, where have I been? What have I been doing? You know, I can't just come home in the evening and say, well, it's none of your business. You know, I was just, just out with my friends. You got a problem with that? No, I can't do that. I'm accountable to her. There's an accountability one toward another. I'm not going to receive an evil report about my wife without just checking this thing out. I'm not going to go behind my wife's back. There's accountability here. I want a good life. Remember, Jesus spoke of the centurion, the centurion who said, who said, uh, you don't even have to come to my house because I understand authority. Jesus said, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel as I've seen in this Roman centurion because he understands authority. You know, we can think that we're doing great things, but remember, there's a structure within the body of Christ. It says young men, the scriptures tell us, young men, be accountable to your elders, submit to your elders, it says. Why would it tell us that in the New Testament? Oh, well, because that was for that day and age. Now we don't need that because we're independent young men, right? No, we have accountability. I am accountable to people. Abigail was accountable to people. She had a miserable life. There was no indication that David loved her very much. And the last thing is how David chose a wife. He saw a pretty and intelligent woman. He said, I want her. When a woman, when a married woman comes to a man and starts dumping on her husband and saying, my husband, you know, he's no good, he's not this. And you know what happens to a young guy when, when that happens? He's like, he gives her a listening ear and she starts liking him because she says, look, this guy's giving me a listening ear. And he starts liking her, thinking in his own mind, wow, you know, if I were her husband, I'd be much nicer to her. I'd really take care of her. And he starts thinking really big of himself. So she starts thinking, this guy's really great because David is giving ear to her pleas where Naval would probably not give her ear. And then David is thinking something of this woman because here's this beautiful and intelligent woman thinking, if she were my wife, I'd take care of her really well. I just got old McCall back there. You see what I mean? Quick decisions to choose a wife, to choose a, a, a husband or a spouse, often end up in great problems because you don't know what's behind it. You don't know that there's five maidens behind this person. You don't know that this person takes evil reports about her husband and spreads evil reports about her husband. I don't want that kind of wife. If some woman's going to come to me complaining about her husband, how her husband's evil and mean, and I would never want them as a wife. What do you think they'd say about me? Because I have my mean and evil times too. I really do. I don't want her saying this about me. But then also women have to be careful what they say to other men about their husbands. And men have to be careful what they receive from married women, women about things about their husband. Because what happens is pride is so insidious. And we start thinking something of, themse- of, of ourselves. So as soon as the guy dies, I mean, there's not even a period of mourning. 
He's proposing to her. How about being my, my wife? Then she comes with five maidens and he's, uh-oh. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. Father, I pray that we would learn from the life of David, both the good and the bad, because you have exposed it here. Father, I pray for your grace to abound upon these young people, to give them good spouses in your time after your own choosing, to teach them what it means to have authorities in their lives that they could speak to, that they could share with, that they could be accountable to. Father, I pray for the grace of God in these young people's lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.